You know, in an abstract way, I've always connected the idea of living on a hill to people that are sure of themselves, you know, comfortable in their own skin. To me, being able to see out over your home and your work and the lives of other people down below, you should have a solid sense of who you are, you know, perched above the world like some type of guardian. Warren lives on the side of Red Mountain that looks out over Birmingham, over the old furnaces and parks and corporate landmarks. He can watch the sun set over the skyline from his porch. He's slender and effortlessly gentle, always crosses his legs and speaks with reserved intention. He sounds perfectly Southern, but a head of red hair gives away the Irish in him. Warren is a dad, and his journey through life has not been without its challenges. He's worked to be the person he is today, and it seems fitting that the man on the mountain had to be tested to get there. I'm Rick Lewis, and you're listening to Way Out, the show about LGBTQ folks living in Alabama. In this episode, Anastasia is taking us through the life of a father. This is his story. We met with Warren last fall at his home to talk about his life. Warren is a lawyer, and for a time he was a judge. When he was in his late 30s, he was at a conference with his colleagues, talking and thinking about legal issues. I was at a judge's meeting. The purpose of the meeting was kind of twofold. There was an element of it to help us do a better job in sentencing. And the other part of, of that conference was to help us be better educators. As the day went on, they had discussions, did different exercises regarding legal sentencing, and then came a seemingly inconsequential part of the day that really changed Warren's life forever. We were asked to put our life on a timeline, and I did. It was for that, for the purpose of us seeing on a piece of paper a timeline and and what our life looked like. And when I finished, I looked at it and looked at all the great and wonderful things that had occurred and things that, you know, that I was so grateful for, like my two daughters and my wonderful careers as a trial judge. But when I looked down at it and started staring at it, there was so much there that was someone else's life. It wasn't mine altogether because there was something significant missing. At that point, I think I had reached a point of being emotionally empty, meaning that there was not any fulfillment in the relationship that I was in at the time. It had nothing to do with her. had nothing to do with her. I was emotionally empty because that part of me big part of me that only gets fulfilled in being in a loving, wonderful relationship with, with another male. It, it was not, it wasn't happening. It just was not happening. At the time that Warren mapped out his life during this conference, he was in his late 30s, he had a successful career as a lawyer and judge, and he was married with two daughters. And he realized that he was living a life that was disingenuous to himself. To understand how he got here, to this turning point, let's go back to the beginning. I grew up in a community in Walker County called Cordova, Alabama, a town, oh goodness, of about 2,500 folks at the time, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. 
after my parents divorced, it was just me and my mom. She was one of those very determined and independent women who uh, was determined to make things happen and make things work. She wound up working two and three jobs until Warren was 15 when she went to work in the coal mines. She was one of the first women in Walker County to go to work in the underground coal mines and the first woman at Marilee Number 1, which was the mine in which she went to work. She was a strong, independent Irish female. My relationship with my mom could best be described as I was a mother's boy. And, you know, I, I call her mom now. I never called her mom. I always called her mother. He only called her by her first name once. We were in the grocery store, and somehow we got separated. You know, I would say, mother, mother, mother. Wasn't getting any response. Cause of course, there was a lot of mothers in there. It was a Saturday afternoon, and finally I said, Elizabeth. <laughs> and she came around the corner very lovingly, put her arm on my shoulder, and she said, I'm not Elizabeth, I am your mother. <laughs> and I said, well, I was calling for you. She said, I heard you, and I was coming for you. She was very focused on making life for me as comfortable and as easy as it could be in a single parent household. And Warren described himself as a little unlike everyone else. I was always a little different. You know, was the slender kid who liked to wear his hair a little longer than everybody else and who liked to dress a little nicer than everybody else. And when I was in high school, I knew I was gay. And having grown up the way I grew up, and at the time I grew up, you know, if you were gay, you kind of felt like you were the only one in the world. I was head over heels, 100%, unequivocally, ground worshiping, you know, just emotionally attached to one of my classmates. That was not something that we publicly acknowledged. We both dated girls. I had girlfriends who I went out with quite a bit. We could not date publicly. If we were together, all we could ever do was just, you know, act like we were best friends. But it, it was a balance, an emotional balance. And speaking of balancing, I probably didn't balance it very well. At one point in high school, Warren's mom found out about his boyfriend. Some things occurred that sort of elevated at least to my mom's knowledge about the relationship I was in. Her response to it and her reaction to it was not very positive. And at that, that point in time, I was made to feel ashamed and that it couldn't carry on. That shame I was feeling extended beyond just the relationship. It went even deeper than that I was, because I was feeling ashamed of being the person that I was and, and that I am. There was some, a, a little difficult time there between the two of us. I don't blame my mom. Mother responded based on what she had, what she knew at the time. But she was also a very intuitive person. And I think somewhere deep inside her, she knew that one day it was going to come back. 
Warren kept seeing the guy he was seeing, albeit more discreetly, and pretty soon they graduated high school. When we graduated, he moved away and never came back, you know, except to, to visit his family. And he moved away so that he could go someplace to be the person that he is. I didn't feel like I had that option. Warren went to Walker College before attending the University of Alabama, on track to become a lawyer. And throughout all of that time, he knew who he was, but he was afraid to be that person. I realized that I will never be fulfilled. I'll never feel whole unless I have that emotional and physical connection with someone of the same sex. Finding an emotional and physical connection in a heterosexual setting for me was very difficult. It did not feel genuine. It did not feel right, even as hard as I tried to make it. It doesn't work that way. I tried to force myself to be a person and to be someone that I was not created to be. But I tried to suppress it. I felt isolated and that I was just one of maybe a handful of people in this world who were fulfilled only by an emotional and physical connection with someone of the same sex. Then things took an unexpected, or maybe expected, turn. I met my daughter's mom my senior year, and we hit it off like, you know, two great pals. I felt at that point in time, I thought I could put aside being gay. I could muster all the energy that I needed to muster to be a great boyfriend and later a great fiance and then later a great husband to make that work forever. But when they were dating, there were a few moments when Warren tried to put the brake on things. Early in the dating life with the girl's mom, I took her to a movie. It was the first movie to hit the big screen that was about two men falling in love with one another. And the first time, I think, on any screen whatsoever that it depicted two men kissing. My intent that night was to have the, you know, we probably ought to just be friends conversation. And her her response to the scene of the two men kissing was, I'm ready to go. That was another one of those moments that I allowed it to make me feel like that there was something wrong with me for feeling the way that I felt. And so I just repressed it. On another occasion, the two of them were driving across campus. I think we must have been coming down University Boulevard. And, you know, occasionally, even back then, you would see somebody that was kind of that was flamboyant. And they were generally from the West Coast or, or maybe from the Northeast, possibly from Florida, South Florida, that had come to the university. But I remember looking at him and saying, dang, or thinking, dang, he's so brave, I wish I could be that brave. And I just remember the girl's mom reacting like, you know, why is he acting so gay? And again, the way I allowed myself to process that was, oh, there's something 
wrong with being gay. That was the last time I ever tried to have that conversation. They got married, they moved to Jasper, a town just 15 minutes down the road from where Warren grew up, and they had two daughters, Mary-Kate and Caroline. I think I had a great childhood. I mean, we lived on a great street. I would be gone for hours on a bike. We'd play basketball in the backyard, go across the street and jump on neighbors' trampoline. Even though like Jasper is bigger, you still have the small town feel, like everybody knows everybody. You can't go anywhere without seeing people you know, and which is which was nice. My dad's always been my role model. I always wanted to be like him. I always wanted to do well in school to make him proud. Warren mapped out his life when Mary Kate and Caroline were in elementary school, and what followed was a difficult part of his life, a time of reflection, isolation, and feeling lost, not knowing where to go, what to do, or who to turn to. I went into probably a little undiagnosed depression and and even reached a point at one time that you know maybe the best option would be um, something that would just remove me from the world altogether even to the point that when I would be alone driving you know, I would look in the, off in the distance and check out trees and um, power poles and, and try to think in terms of all right, how can I best align my vehicle up to do something that would uh, just take me away, take me out of it. That's about when I said, all right, I got to talk to someone. Someone who at that point in time was practicing medicine in my home county and who's gay. I called him one morning and said, Doc, what are you doing for lunch? And he said, I'm not doing anything. I said, well, what would you say I run by and pick us something to eat? Let me bring it out and let me break bread with you. We had a very good luncheon that day and was the first time that I had been made to feel okay and that things would be okay. I guess in the grand scheme of things, he was the first person I came out to. And, and uh, you know, what's so funny about that was his, his reply was, well, it's about time. The universe threw a lot of surprises out at me over the months and year or so that followed. But because of that one conversation, I knew I could navigate. What followed was an honest talk between Warren and his wife in a counseling session where the truth finally came out. She was a great wife, a great mom, and to this very day, I'm very grateful to her in, in being the wonderful mom that, that she is, because I think we both did a great job co-parenting. I know I created a great deal of pain for her and probably a lot of embarrassment. I'll always feel responsible for that. The hurt that I caused and the embarrassment that I caused her was not intentional. You know, I did not go into it intentionally to ultimately see our marriage dissolve. 
I reached a point that I had to stand up, be an adult, finally be an adult in my late 30s and say, I can't be someone that I'm not anymore. I can't pretend anymore. The rest of Warren's story when we come back. When Warren came out to his wife, what followed was separation and divorce. He spent a lot of time at the family beach house and eventually moved to Birmingham. The girls were both in elementary school, so when their parents sat them down to tell them they were splitting up, Warren's sexuality wasn't a part of the conversation. But Mary-Kate started putting the pieces together very early on. I guess that's when homosexuality was becoming more seen, and I understood the definition and I was getting a better grasp of things and I mean I could just see his style change his hairstyle change the way he carried himself I just knew it's not just because they weren't just getting along it's because he's gay I kind of figured it out too because we would go out to eat to lunch like with his friends I could tell like, that his friends were just like, you know, acted a little different, you know, very like enthusiastic. And <laughs> I could just tell, I, I just, I noticed that common, that common trend among everyone. He was like, yeah, and like, I feel like I remember like Googling something or Yahooing, whatever, like men who act girly or something. I don't think I really was familiar with like the yeah. concept. And then I started to learn more. Also, but like my coach said, you know, his style. Yeah, for the record. Yeah. He has really I, great t- taste I, in clothing. I have, I have worn my hair the same way and have been the perpetual preppy since I was in high school. Yeah. But, but, so. but things got a little tighter and you lost okay. a little weight. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you highlighted your hair and oh, you, yeah, blamed it on, you blamed it on pressure washing something at the leg. But even though both of them figured it out eventually, Lots of time went by before they talked about it, because being gay was not something that was widely accepted where they lived. Mary-Kate reflected on what she called a reiteration in the churches in Jasper. I feel like there were a couple of slips into the sermons where it was slyly indicated being gay is a sin. I think once stuff started unfolding and people realized what was going on, that message was included. I don't want to say it was targeted at us, but I mean, that could just be me being paranoid. But I felt like at the time, Caroline and I were being targeted due to our situation. Because I remember multiple sermons, multiple messages in youth group hovering over the rights and wrongs and what the Bible says about that particular subject. As all of this was happening, Warren was worried about what it would mean for his daughters to know. You know, my biggest fear always was that they would pay the price from their peers, from the parents of their peers. The conversation did come up eventually. It was after the divorce, after Warren had been dating the same man for a long while, and after Warren's daughters got to know his enthusiastic friends, in Caroline's words. I think I confronted you it was like my heart was racing because, I mean, I knew it was true. I was just, I wanted him to know that I knew. 
I think it was like, Dad, are you gay? And ultimately I said, yes. That was the way I remember the conversation going. It was on a Sunday morning. It was at the 10th Courthouse. Yeah, I remember it being the 10th Courthouse. Mm -hmm. I always thought Caroline, like me and Kate, would broach the subject when she was ready to talk about it. And by the time she was 13, she hadn't broached the subject yet. And I thought, you know, uh, (laughs) it's time. It's time. Because you had been with the same person for years, and I still had not even said anything. <laughs> I was like, I knew, but like it was just kind of like an unspoken thing. Like, yeah. yeah, you know. But then we finally talked about it. I don't think I really said much whenever you told me. You didn't. And what I took away from that was that by that point in time, you know, you had accepted it. You know, it's really not a big deal. Mm-hmm. By the time Caroline and I had that conversation, it was finally a... You know, I could just relax. I remember pausing a moment and reflecting, and I thought, you know, maybe this was the right way to do it anyway. Let her see, you know, that two people of the same gender can have a whole loving relationship. And she did get to see that. For Mary-Kate, the moment of her dad coming out was an especially important one, because by that point, she was working through her own sexuality. I was struggling with my sexuality. I was 15, I think. And then that's the reason why I moved in with him when I was 16. Both of y'all have always given me purpose. And, you know, when you came out, I said, okay, now I get it. You know, my lot in life is to make it easier for her than it was for me. And at the same time, admire your, uh, the courage, because it took a lot of courage to do that. You know, I had only known one other person that had come out so early in life and he happened to be one of my high school classmates, which I thought took a lot of courage. Courage I didn't have at the time, and of course glad I didn't, or otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here between you two fine <laughs> ladies. But, um... Let's go back to the beginning, to the woman who started this all, Warren's mother, Elizabeth. Here's Caroline. The first word I think of when I think of my grandmother is, like, empowering. She was interviewed by a researcher from Yale and about being a woman in the mines. The lady um, asked her, through all these hard times, and, like, would you consider that you, if you could change anything, would you change anything, you know? And then she was like, no. Like, I lived a great life. You know, my life is great. I wouldn't, you know, even though like, all, even though the hardship she went through, she wouldn't change a thing. When the divorce was being finalized, one of the people Warren hadn't yet told about the journey he'd been on was his mother. By the time the conversation with my mom came along, I had already been outed. Her neighbor across the street broke the news to her in a very unfriendly way, but which did lead to one of the most wonderful awesome, loving conversations I ever had with my mom. Warren and Caroline were driving to Mississippi for one of his dad's army reunions. Caroline had had a piano recital that evening, so it was late before we could leave. So it was probably 11 o'clock when we're rolling into Biloxi, Mississippi. So mother was still up when we rolled in. My mom was a night owl. When we rolled up to the hotel, she was standing out front, got out of the car, and she said, you look exhausted. And I said, I am exhausted. 
She said, you need a cocktail, don't you? And I said, I would love a cocktail. So she said, well, you go get checked in. I'll stay here with Caroline. And then when you get checked in, I'll go get Caroline settled. You go get a drink and I'll meet you on that bench under that live oak tree. How about that? And I said, you know, mom, I think that'd be pretty cool. So I went into the bar and got, I think I probably ordered not a double, not a triple, but it was probably a quadruple Jameson on the rocks. And by that time, met my mom out uh, on the bench. Warren joined her and they made small talk for a while. And then the conversation took a turn. We were just having this wonderful conversation. She said, got something to ask you. And I said, okay. And I just sort of braced myself because I I felt like then I knew where this conversation was going. And she said, I really want to know why y'all are getting a divorce. And being a good lawyer, you know, I started spinning and, you know, just being as vague as I could. And, you know, my mom's too dang smart for that. She didn't take anything at face value. I mean, she would have made a great lawyer because she loved to peel the layers back. And she said, so does this have anything to do with what we went through when you were in high school? Does it have anything to do with your sexuality? And I said, yes, ma'am. And I sort of emotionally braced myself because, again, I, I did not know. I did not know where, you know, it, 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 it did not, you know, the high school, the, the whole high school thing, it, that didn't end well. She looked at me and she said, you know I love you, right? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, you know, there's nothing in this world that can make me not love you, right? And I said, well, I hope so. And she said, no, really. I love you. All I ever wanted was the best for you. And all I really ever wanted was for you to be happy. She said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry I didn't do a better job with this when you were in high school. I know a lot more about it now than I used to. And she said, I realize you were born this way. I get it. I'm just sorry I tried to make you something you weren't. And then I said, well, Mom, no, I'm sorry, I didn't say Mom. I said, Mother, you know, at the end of the day, I made the decision to be that which I'm not. I see now that I had options that I didn't take that may have made things turn out differently. But, you know, we are where we are right now sitting in this place and I you know and I just I love you so much for loving I love you so much for loving me like I am after meeting Warren and his two daughters I can tell that in everything he does he invokes this love that his mother showed him very much like my mom there was nothing that I would go back and change what I would not wish on anyone, however, is the imposition of the need to be deceitful and to hide away their true selves. It's unfair to the individual that's experiencing it. You know, I would encourage anyone who is listening to this podcast to, you know, extend love and grace and kindness to any member of their family who is struggling with their sexual orientation or sexual identity. It's real. 
It's not imagined. Mm-hmm. It's not a phase. And, you know, embrace them and embrace them for the, the individual that they are. Just like that gorgeous late redhead did to me under that live oak tree <laughs> that night sitting in Biloxi, Mississippi. This piece was produced by Anastasia Tidarenko and me, Rick Lewis. A big thanks to Warren, Mary-Kate, and Caroline Laird for being a part of this. Our theme music is All the Colors in the World by Pottington Bear. Other music used was Nothing Much by My Bubba Me, Last Dance by Jazar, and Up Up Up, Bagged, Bittersweet, Outmodded Waltz, and A Gentleman by Pottington Bear, who also did our credits theme, Colocate. A big thanks to Dr. Reverend Tommy Watkins of Canterbury Episcopal Church in Tuscaloosa and Amanda Keller, the Executive Director of the Magic City Acceptance Center in Birmingham. Special thanks to Dr. Rebecca Ballard, Andrew Grace, Chip Brantley, Allie Thomason, Paul Kennedy, Mike Putman, the University of Alabama Honors College, and the Sanford Media Center. That's it, everyone. This is our last episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've stuck around through all six shows, thank you so much for going on this journey with us. If you like our show, find our page on Facebook at Way Out Alabama Podcast. Please like, share us, and tell us what you thought. We'd love to hear from you.